Genre. Thursday, welcome to Back to the Future Minute, uh, the daily podcast where we review and analyze Back to the Future Part Three, one Christmas Carol minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. <laughs> I'm Scott Corelli, and joining us again, Michael Gorman. Hey guys. Uh, and Mike, let me be uh, let me be the first person to wish you a happy birthday uh, because today is January 19th. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Whoa, wait, your birthday's January 19th? It is. That's my dad's birthday. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was a flawless, re- flawless reaction. Um, uh, please yeah, tell your dad like, I said happy birthday. Okay. I was like looking at how this episode was going to come out in the schedule, and I was like, wait. <laughs> I oh, haven't man. seen my dad in 20 years now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so happy birthday, Mike. Thank Welcome you, sir. Back. <laughs> nice to be back. Uh, today we're talking about Minute 14, uh, which begins with Doc wondering if uh, he's now in the history books and ends with Marty saying, you're not far off, Doc. Yeah. You know, we always forget about this, but Doc is like kind of a quietly arrogant person. Yeah, the vanity is a bit surprising. Yeah, like <laughs> it, it comes up, it comes up like really sporadically, but then it's always like, oh right, you kind of do have like, like not a not an unhealthy ego, but yeah, yeah, like 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 Mike said, he he has like vanity to him, right? Well, I think his ego. I don't. I don't think it's so much ego as. I mean, when he says history books, I think he's talking specifically about Hill Valley. And Hill Valley being a small town, you know, they keep an absurd amount of history mm-hmm. yeah. right. for a small town. And so I think he just thinks – I don't think it's – I don't think it's egotistical of himself to think that he would be in the history books. It would be if he was talking about history textbooks. Um, right. He means literally like the records of Hill Valley. Right. He's talking about like Hill Valley records, I yeah, think. So yeah. I don't – yeah, I don't think it's an ego thing so much. Yeah, Hill Valley right. does almost have like a Stars Hollow level amount of like town pride to it. Oh yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, that comparison. This is not the first time we've made that comparison. No, it's not even the fifth time we've made that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm sure it won't be the last. Yeah. Oh my God, can you imagine? Okay, so like Amy Sherman Palladino is like guys, Gilmore Girls, Year in the Life broke all kinds of ratings records. It was a huge hit. I love I love writing for these characters again, but I think we've taken, you know, I had those final four words. I knew how I wanted this to end. So now, rather than looking forward, we're going to look back. <laughs> coming like coming spring 2018, Gilmore Girls 1886. <laughs> what is it with you and that date, 1886? Oh, sorry, 1885. <laughs> no, but but seriously, I know it's like the second time of, I don't know. No, it's it, and you've done it before. Like when we've talked about that year in other podcasts, you always say 1886. It's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's when like one of my like incarnations died or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so it's just like everyone. You're not far off, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's like. It's like it's like the abominable bride in Sherlock, but like Gilmore Girl. So it's like, what if all of these characters, but in 1885? Oh, boy. <clears throat> <clears throat> that would be weird, too, because it's on the East Coast, so it wouldn't be like cowboys. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it would be like super like almost like almost, early industrial revolution, right? Yeah, kind of like almost like around the time of like Hamilton. Right. <laughs> Crazy. Um, anyway. Well, it's like 100 years after that, but oh, no. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there we go again. <laughs> but close, you're close. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, Doc, you know, Doc I is- said Hamilton instead of like um, the American Revolution, <laughs> right? Yeah. Anyway, it's fine. There was a mixtape that came out. You're yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Marty, Marty tells Doc, like, you know, he shouldn't look himself up because he shouldn't know so much about the future. And again, I have to reiterate my theory that the roles are being reversed in this movie, that yeah. that Doc is Marty and Marty is Doc. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a very good. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's good thematic work. Mm hmm. Um, something has to be said about Doc's utility vest. <laughs> oh, yeah. You mean how great it is? Because. <laughs> yes i am into it yeah. it kind of looks like like michael gross from tremors in this scene <laughs> do you think he bought that vest or do you think he made it out of like a utility belt because <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing else <coughs> in the vest other than around the belt area right yeah <laughs> So it almost is like he had a, a belt and it was like, ah, oh, this thing's always like kind of dragging down. You know what would make it great? If I could wrap it around my neck too, <laughs> anchor it, you know? What do you think, Copernicus? <laughs> yeah, it's Mark, just like Mark. when he's running to, to the thing, it's just like, yeah, like a wrench and a hammer and stuff. There's like five things in it. Right. And it's all around the waist area. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's a good time, though. I'm into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suede. It's good. Yeah. You know who he kind of looks like? Uh, he, he sort of reminds me of two things. The Underminer from The Incredibles. <laughs> and um, do you guys ever see that, that Disney movie, the Disney Atlantis movie? No. Sure. Okay. The, 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 there's like a weird French. like Michael minor. J. Fox. Yeah. Well, with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. With like a, <laughs> there's like a weird minor character that kind of looks like that. Yeah. Hmm. I guess that's just what miners look like. Yeah. I guess so. Minus, <clears throat> minus. Sorry. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why that was in my head. Uh, so uh, Copernicus has wandered off. Yeah, he's not, he's not having a smoke. Yeah. Well, this is what and, I mentioned uh, in, in, the, in Minute 11, the first one that we did this week. Uh, hmm. This is very interesting because here you learn that Copernicus can read. Yeah. Well, is that it, or is there a more, an even more horrifying, uh, horrifying thing in I know that exactly he where can, you're going. Yeah, he can sense his dead master six feet under the ground, <laughs> or master. smell him. Just smell him. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 Marty's. Although the fact that he's hugging the gravestone really, really gives gives more credence to Mike's theory. Yeah, it really <laughs> that he can read. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Marty's. Well. So so Doc first. Doc says like Copernicus. He 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 says it in a really fun way, and um. 
my heart starts to beat because I don't like it in in movies or in life when when you can't find a dog, especially at night. <laughs> especially at night. Like I I know like I all, all jokes aside, I've seen this movie. I know there's not a scene where they come upon a, a slain dog, right? But that's like immediately where my I hate I hate it when um a, a a horror movie introduces a dog, um, because I'm always like oh no. <laughs> Uh, I hate but, dogs, so I love it. Yeah, I hate dogs <laughs> in general. I don't trust any kind of animal that can't eat chocolate without dying. <laughs> oh my God, it's not natural. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with that with all the pet stuff. There, there was a good payoff to that trope in um, that Netflix movie uh, about the the deaf woman. Oh, hush, hush. Yeah, yeah. Uh, second second hush reference, but a different hush this week um weird yeah (laughs) but but uh yeah the that movie the netflix horror movie hush there's a good payoff to that trope with her cat oh yeah she did have a yeah uh bitch (laughs) oh right yeah that was the name of the cat yeah because you you think that she's like being mean but then you see the collar and you're like oh the cat's actually name was bitch yeah (laughs) well because it's funny because like a bitch is a female dog and this is a cat i don't know she's a funny funny character yeah (laughs) She's a real funny character. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's that really good payoff to that trope in that movie, uh, where the yeah. where like the, the 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 killer literally finds the cat and he's just like, I'm gonna string this cat up, and then immediately gets like shot, um, which is like before he can do anything, which yeah. is uh, really great. And then the cat runs away, and it's fine. So, yeah, yeah, it works out. <laughs> so if you have a significant other that can't watch movies where animals don't die. Or animals die, they can watch Hush. <laughs> they don't die. They will die in this movie. No, I'm out. Honey, you want to go see a rival? I don't know. Do any dogs get killed? I'm out. <laughs> Why would I waste my time? <laughs> you're watching. You're watching like a really innocent movie. Like like you're watching like Florence Foster Jenkins, and like. Oh, this is my dog. And then like your girlfriend or whatever is like, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, she's, she's a real funny character. <laughs> yeah, she's a real kooky character. Real quirky. Uh, so anyway, they can't find Copernicus and you start hearing Copernicus crying. Yeah, which makes um, me really scared. Oh, it's the most horror. Like uh, dogs, dogs, dogs that I like. I like crying. Really, just dogs crying in general. It's just really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when they're just sort of like whining like that because it's just like, oh, you kind of sound like a person. It's not natural and yeah. it's weird. Although Copernicus whimpering lends even more weight to Mike's theory. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he knows it's sad because he could read it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the camera pans out and there's an incredible shot of of Copernicus wrapping his paws like, like daredevil wrapped around like an angel statue. (laughs) Uh, Just just Copernicus like hugging a tombstone that says here lies Emmett Brown. And then uh, doc goes to see it. I mean, uh, Marty runs to see it and he goes, Oh, la la. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, uh, that trademark Marty double take. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great Man, you know, Michael J. Fox is just really good at farce. Yeah, he is. Yeah. 
Yes. I, I just, I love, I just, the delayed reaction to Doc, the, a delayed reaction that we don't even get paid off in this minute. It's still <laughs> being delayed. Uh, like, he's running up, and it's obvious that Marty is looking at the gravestone, dude. Yeah. Like, it was obvious as you were running up there. Yeah. And and he just refuses to look at it. I think because deep down he knows what it is. Yeah, there's only, there's yeah. only a handful of things it could be. I think he's in denial. Is Do you think, guys, that this is an intentional callback to uh, the reveal of, of – um, Marty's dad's tombstone. Well, I, I think to a certain extent, but I think because this was something that I actually wrote in my notes as part of a larger discussion that okay. I wanted to have about this. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. It's good. That yeah, yeah, it's in my notes for this, so okay. we're good. Um, I I think it's interesting because Back to the Future has a stakes problem, which is that. In the first film, the stakes are fairly low. I mean, I mean, you know, Marty might cease to exist, but as a which which is really great personal stakes for like a a very <laughs> very a very seemingly selfish character like Marty uh, in the first movie. Yeah, um, it's it's good. It's like I might disappear. <laughs> it's, it's good, yeah. uh, but I. You know, and and his stakes are are weird in the first movie when you take it into context with the sequels because it doesn't really make any sense once you start talking about the sequels. Um, because, you know, Doc, if, if Biff changed the past and put Doc in a sane asylum, then he never invented the DeLorean and then there was no time machine. And so that whole world just shouldn't exist, period. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, that, like, if you're following the rules of the first movie, that's how that should play out. Um, so the first movie is really great when taken on its own, and the sequels are fine b- by themselves. Uh, but as a trilogy, there are certain things that directly contradict each other like that, um, certain rules. But in so the stakes in the first movie are what they are, and they're really tight and good. And then you get to the second one, and they have to raise the stakes because it's a sequel. Right. And so they raise the stakes by having that, you know, that that terrible alternate reality. But specifically, they raise the stakes by killing George, which, of course, killing George wasn't supposed to be a stakes raise. It wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. Uh, that's Crispin, Crispin Glover's fault. Um, sure. But uh, for for wanting a ridiculous race, but what I think is interesting is like yeah, I mean take taking if you take George out of the equation of the second one because that was added later because of Crispin Glover, then you go from I'm going to disappear to we need to make this horrible world disappear to Emmett Brown is dead, <laughs> and it's. It's a, it's an interesting like trajectory of stakes that I like because yeah. you know Doc is uh, your 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 alternate lead in a lot of ways. Yeah. He's, he's the if this is a if this is a two hander, he's your other hand. Mm-hmm. And you know what's and, interesting is it's not it's it's not even Doc's dead. It's sort of like Doc is 
going to die. Like, or the- except that right, except that he is dead. It's just that the way time travel works is weird. Yeah, it, 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 it makes you it makes you think about things uh, in a third dimension. It, yeah. it sort of reminds uh, Mike. Are you, are you familiar with the with the Flash, the CW version of the Flash? Oh yeah, sure. It kind of reminds me of okay. So this isn't really spoilery, but the kind of final thing in season two is. Barry decides that, like, he can't let another version of Earth be destroyed or 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 ruined. So it's it isn't so much like the fate of it's like and the argument is like, well, why does it matter? It's not your Earth. But it's like Barry's kind of ultimate thing is like, well, it's the principle of it. I just don't want to I don't like the idea of it. Right. And that's kind of what this is saying. It's like, I don't like the idea of Doc getting murdered in the past. Right. So I'm I'm gonna go back in time and save him from getting shot again because he's this right, isn't right. even the first time he's been murdered. That's true. It's kind of it's more. I'd say this is it's certainly there. There's a certain element of a visual callback to George's gravestone, but I think largely what this is is a callback to that scene that you're talking about at Twin Pines Mall. Yeah, where he's, where he's gunned down by Libyan nationalists. Right. Like, I saved him from getting shot before. I'm going to save him from getting shot again. Yeah. And then that opens up kind of a can of worms where it's like, well, you can't change fate. You can't, like, it's maybe it's preordained that he's, Doc yeah. Brown is always going to die by getting shot. Yeah. Again, right. like, again, to go back to the, you know, how, how many how many times can the Flash go back in time to save Nora Allen, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I really like... I really like this. I think the problem with it is that because of the George thing in the second movie, it feels repetitive in a way that doesn't really work. Yeah. But taken on its own as, you know, the superior sequel of the two, I think it works great. Yeah. Like, I don't think Back to the Future 2 needed that. I needed the death of George McFly. I think you could have written around George and just left it well enough alone mm-hmm. because the idea of Biff controlling 1985 was scary enough. Because we've seen it and we've lived in it, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then I think that would have made this moment play better than it does in the context of the second movie. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of, uh, you know, I read this really interesting article about uh about south park's recent season i mean uh, it, it, it's it, it's over now but um or by mm. the time by the, by the time you hear this so south park season <laughs> 20 will be over but um so uh so this season of south park has had almost half a dozen episodes and with a camera zooming in a character giving like a sly evil smile and then reveals to be doing something bad instead of something good mm-hmm. and like that that same twist in that same style has happened like four times and mm. and and the writer the the, the, the journalist that wrote this uh, article or critic was saying like you know that was really cool the first time like when you find out that x character is skank hunter <clears throat> 42 or whatever but sure. like the fourth time that it happens it it it's kind of it loses its punch Right. And I think the same kind of goes for here. Yeah, like the, the, the second time in two movies when you see a, a character's tombstone. Right. It's kind of like, oh, okay, we're doing we're doing this again, you know? Yeah. Right. 
No, I, I mean that's that's exactly what it is to me. I think, um, and it's it's sad because this is vastly superior. Because we talked about how over the top the George McFly gravestone scene is. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's like wind blowing. Yeah, and, yeah. And 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 Marty is like like Michael J. Fox is just like acting his brains out. Like he's just got everything turned up to twelve. Yeah, and and Doc somehow finds him. Right. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just it's a scene that doesn't need to be there because you don't need that element because after his his showdown with Biff and Biff revealing that he was in fact the one that killed his father, like beyond those two things, mm-hmm. it none of the rest of it matters. Like it doesn't it doesn't come into play the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like we never even get any sort of cathartic moment when George's life is saved in part two. It's just right. kind of assumed because like you get to see the, the, the miracle, the miracle under the sea, the, <laughs> the enchantment under the sea dance, like happen again. Right. In fact, if, if Biff had had George put into the asylum and <clears throat> doc wasn't part of the equation at all, because it doesn't really make sense for him to be part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he has like absolutely no interaction with Biff whatsoever, uh, you know. Doc's stakes in the matter are that he feels responsible for time itself. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't need personal stakes, and actually, not giving him personal stakes would make this moment play even stronger. I think. Yeah, because he's been a selfless character up to this. Point. Right. He like if if in the second movie you had George put into the asylum, which explains why Marty can't go see him, would have been enough. And then Biff can just be like, oh, yeah, I'm the one who told everybody your dad was crazy. And then I ended up with your ma, whatever like that. That would have been fine. Like that would have been enough, I think. Then you could have saved Doc being directly involved in time travel shenanigans until here. In which case it's like, oh my god, like this guy that we've been we've we've gotten to know over the course of these two movies, that you know, Marty's best friend, in some ways our best friend watching this movie, he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think it, this moment would have hit so much harder if that had been the case. Mm. Yeah. Also, weird discovery. Both graveyard scenes involve our two heroes and a dog. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Einstein in uh, in 85 and Copernicus here. Mm-hmm. Um, a tale of two dogs. <laughs> a tale of two dogs. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. So that's, that's all I have. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting this whole gravestone thing. Um, I think it's really great in this movie. It's just that I think part two just, just takes it down a few notches. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's unfortunate. Right. Right. But on its own, it's, it's a fantastic reveal, I think. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So there's this movie coming out with, uh, with John. Well, uh, anyway, time travel is weird, but there, there a movie exists called mm-hmm. um a dog's purpose <laughs> right and i i saw it a lot i saw the trailer for it a lot over thanksgiving um and in this movie supposedly a family film 
um, Josh Gad plays the consciousness of this being that is a dog and then dies and then over and over again is forced to live out another dog's life in another family until it achieves nirvana i don't know but um <laughs> i don't i don't know how that's gonna wrap itself up but it, I'm, it i'm you think it's kind of an interesting theory like is is einstein a, a, a reincarnation of copernicus i think in a world in the world of a dog's purpose absolutely yes okay cool <laughs> <laughs> Both Einstein and Copernicus are, in fact, Josh Gad. Yes, there's an alternate. I want to. I want to go in and record like, um, like a common, like an alternate, like an alternate uh, track where every scene is like narrated or interjected with Josh Gad. <laughs> I right, found well, your that- tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's all I got for this minute. You guys have anything else? No, no that's it for me. Let's end it all right. Here. Well, uh, we will be back tomorrow to wrap up the week with Minute 15. In the meantime, if you're on the market for a shirt, go check out our T Public store at <laughs> duelinggenre.com slash merch. Uh, go, buy, uh, go buy a Back to the Future shirt. We got our What Lorraine shirt. It's What Lorraine in the, in the Back to the Future font. Uh, and... Uh, I'm sure there will be more on the way. If you have any ideas for for shirts that we could maybe do, uh, let us know. And I would we'll... buy a shirt with with Copernicus draped over a, a the tombstone. Just <laughs> hugging the tombstone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's a dark image. I feel yeah. like. Um, anyway, we'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye.